Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 256 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's program, we have a conversation with regular contributor, musical, lyrical, and theatrical artist, Little Star Run. And we talk with Little Star Run about her life with Misha, a cat she crossed paths with in Athens, Greece, and shared life with for 12-plus years. We also have an essay from yours truly, titled Morning Constitutional. Another wonderfully crafted piece by our associate producer, Michael Pavis, the doctor, a.k.a. Uncle Cesare, titled My Foolish Heart, and a poem called Pharaoh. All of this, as is always the case, is infused, imbued, and wonderfully informed by several great tunes. It's nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 256 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours.
Morning Constitutional. I was standing in the backyard just the other day, waiting for Marquez to finish up his morning constitutional. I watched a small flock of quick, fluttering birds fly from winter bush to another, with one almost raising my belly. I, for a moment, felt like I was sharing a dance within the small expanse I purchased for me and my people to live together. All those dreams I had, the expectations and projections I attached to it all, some have burgeoned beautiful, some have had to fall. Others new came about without any sense of the what for or their wherewithal to call. And life is like this, a half of a century to penetrate my Calabrian psyche. The sense of control need not hold you prisoner and lamenting with a sort of stymieing spiritual agony. Though it is very difficult to transform a deeply embedded sense of reality. I think I am here and gone in an expanse far greater than that of my backyard. Time, as it moves moment to moment toward infinity. I dance with birds today.
Hello. Hello. Is this Little Star Run? Uh, this is Little Star Run. How are you today? This is E.W. Conundrum from Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Hi, E.W. What a surprise. <laughs> what a surprise, yeah. Um, how are things going? Artist, I should tell people we're talking to. She's an artist, theatrical, musical, as as well as in other areas, too. She lives her life as an artist, I think, is safe to say, from my vantage point, at least, and a regular contributor on the program. And uh, it's, uh, it's been a, a few months. Everything, Everything's... Uh, Good. I guess that would depend on your perspective. When you say good, yeah, <laughs> there's a <laughs> there's a lot of good things as well as a lot of, I guess, considered bad or awful things. And I've learned that they kind of go hand in hand, and you have to accept both of them. So, uh, you know, a lot of things are out of our control. And it's really about how we respond to situations, more so than their inherent goodness or badness. Yeah, well put. And I know something uh, that has occurred in recent weeks is really um, uh, prompting you to reflect a bit about uh, life in general, your life in particular. And I think we're going to focus on that uh, today a bit. Um, I, I look at this segment with a title in mind. Uh, it's it's uh, Life with Misha. Oh, <laughs> yes. Life with Misha is never-ending. Um, Misha was my cat, uh, will always be my cat. And, uh, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, recently he just passed, but I don't necessarily feel like he's gone, um, you know. I, I definitely still feel his presence. So, and, and I've seen him even acting in my life and giving me messages and signs, if you can believe that. Um, there, there have been a lot of synchronicities and strange things happening and, you know, events leading me to other things uh, for healing that I feel probably come directly from him. And uh, how long was Misha in your life? Uh, Misha was in my life for approximately um, 12 years and four months. Uh, it's three or four months, yeah. I'm, because when I first got him, it was a little bit blurry, the time for me. I can't remember exactly uh, in, when in September of 2005 I got him. So he's like towards the end, I think. But it could have been a little bit in the middle. So, yeah. And he, so, was, yeah, approximately 12 years and three or four months. And, and you, you crossed paths with Misha where? Um, well, I had recently rescued another cat from the street. And I... This is in Athens, Greece, by the way, where I was living uh, for quite a long time, in case people don't know that. <laughs> um, we haven't explained that. Um, so I, I had rescued another cat off the street around that time, and I, I got this idea that maybe she needed a companion because she didn't really seem very happy 
in my apartment. Um, she was a feral cat. Her name was Luna. I named her Luna. And I went to a pet shop uh, in Athens in um, a, an area called Nea Smyrni. And when I was there, uh, that's when I saw Misha. And <laughs> that was the first time I saw him. In, in a pet shop in Athens? Yes. Um, I didn't buy him. I should stress that. Um, he, Him and his uh, siblings were about to be um, discarded. They were going to be thrown out. And, you know, uh, thoughtlessly... Uh, ruthlessly as people do things like that to animals and I, I couldn't take all of them uh, so I, I decided to take one and I took Misha Do you know why you chose Misha? Was it, was it random? <laughs> it actually wasn't really random uh, it was their enclosed in, in area their cage if you want to call it that uh, was close to a window and you know how kittens sleep in stacks usually, you know, these big bundles and uh, <laughs> it was kind of the way the light was illuminating his face, you know he was sticking out of the stack, his face was illuminated by the light coming from the window and he looked so peaceful he had his eyes closed and he was sleeping and I you know, I just connected with him. Uh, we connected. And and just a kitten at that point, Misha was. Uh, and you, you, how old were you, if you don't mind me asking, at that point? Um, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> um, this whole conversation where, where is, is this conversation going? <laughs> the, it's it's uh, the whole it's a ruse just for me to find out your age, you know. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, I was in, I was in my mid twenties. Yeah. Mid twenties. Okay. I'm just trying to get everything in perspective. So, so uh, then you you uh, you take him from the pet shop. You take him home. And are you living alone now? Uh, no, I was living with my uh, well husband at the time. I was actually married. I got married in my mid twenties. So. And and then I mean, you started cohabitating you took care mm -hmm. of Misha Misha became part of your life uh, and and how 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 did that unfold 12 years I'm sure you have a lot you can give us a sort of narrative uh, uh, a storyline so that we understand why this particular creature affected you so um, well I can start by saying what happened when I, when I took him home. Uh, well, first of all, he was separated from his mother and he was still quite young. So that made him vulnerable in a lot of ways. Uh, and I had to become, you know, his full-time mother and teach him a lot of things. And, um, he never got an adult meow because he never really had been around any real adult cats you know, he was he, he was very much a kitten even in his older years. I feel like he never really even grew out of that. Um, and when I took him home to meet Luna, the other cat that I had rescued off the street, 
they did not get along. And she actually really tried to uh, attack him and get rid of him. And she did not like him. Uh, I'm not sure what he represented uh, to her. Maybe, you know, he was taking too much of my attention. She wanted my attention. But she she wasn't even happy in our in our home. Uh, and she was very feral and very, very difficult to handle. So I did make the decision after she had tried to attack Misha a few times uh, that I was just going to put her back outside and see what happened. Uh, and then when I put her back outside, she didn't really even seem to care or want to be near me <laughs> and left quickly. So I figured that I did the right thing at that point. Um and then it was just me and Misha. So, uh, and at that time too, in that particular relationship, I felt isolated. I mean, I was in Greece and I didn't know the language very well at that point. And I had left a lot of things behind in the US, family, friends, careers, everything, and I was really starting over. So Misha and I were kind of in the same place, you know? It was like my life was sort of just beginning in a new incarnation, and his life was literally just beginning. Um, and so we kind of grew up together and supported each other um, within that sort of new, exciting, vulnerable place. And, you know, was it about uh, the comfort of, of uh, a cat coming to sit on your lap or purr when, when you were around? Or, or was it uh, some other sort of connection as well? I, um, I mean, he certainly did, you know, jump on my lap a lot and purr. Uh, but in the early days, he was very, very rambunctious and vibrant and unpredictable and haphazard and just kind of insane. <laughs> uh, to, much to my delight, actually, that was one of the things that made me fall deeply in love with him was his um, adventure, uh, his adventurous nature and, and his just un complete unpredictability and his quirkiness and just his silliness. Um, you know, uh, love doesn't discriminate. And uh, I despite his many faults and the insane situations he would get himself into, um, you know, dangling from things like uh, death defying feats, you know, <laughs> uh, where I would have to like literally sprint ac across the living room and save him uh, from some sort of disaster. Uh, you know, that, that made me fall very, very deeply in love with him. Because of, uh, the well, the adventurous nature, as you put it, but also because he he sort of needed you to keep him from hurting himself. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. He, I mean, he would he would try to do these really insane acrobatic things and um, not be able to execute them very well sometimes. And because he was so little, you know, he would um, end up dangling by one paw. And there had been times, too, where I, I didn't make it in time to save him, you know, and he would get you know, a small injury or something. And it was it, he really 
he he wanted to go beyond his limits. I definitely admired that in him, but I also had to protect him as his kitty mom, you know. And it should we should mention that you were yourself in in a, in a circus, traveling circus, and you did acrobatic uh, work. That's how you sort of landed in Greece. So maybe ironically, I- so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, he had that in him as well. Uh, some of what you have in you, it sounds like to me. And, definitely were kindred spirits. And you think that, I mean, a lot of folks would hear this and say, well, I don't get it. How could that be? I mean, and other, people would to- other people would totally get it because there many, many, many people have a, uh, a deep level um, sort of relationship with a dog or a cat in particular. So a lot of people would get it. But for those who would not get it, um, how, how do you, how do you like, I guess, convince, or do, not that you care, but how could you convince that some somebody that uh, a genuine love and affection and connection with another animal can indeed occur? Well, I just, you know, I think humans are animals. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, we <laughs> we connect with each other all the time, or attempt to at least. It's just maybe we we miss a lot because of our barriers um, that we put up. You know, ego and intellectuality, our scars. You know, we we often can't connect to each other, and. To connect in, with an animal, it's really the same thing. It's just there's no intellectuality. You, you know, it's just a complete energetic connection, which is what human connection should be as well. And uh, what, what do you mean by that? Energetic? Yeah, um, you, you, how humans should have an energetic connection as well instead of a, instead of an intellectual or as well as? Well, the intellectual can be a form uh, of energy exchange. You know, there are many forms of energy exchange. Um, often, though, times I shouldn't say that there's no intellectuality because oftentimes I feel like I would have really interesting conversations with Misha. I can, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we could uh, definitely converse on a, a wide array of subjects. And he, he had certain versions to certain things, too. You know, he, he had his own particular taste, especially in music. Um, he would make faces if he didn't like something that he heard musically. Um, either when I was practicing, you know, if I would sing a really off note or play a really off note on the guitar, he'd look at me like, oh, my God, Mom, what are you, oh, like in <laughs> disgust. <laughs> <laughs> So he was actually uh, a great audience for me too to figure out if something was um, audience uh, ready. And so you were there together in in Greece for uh, maybe a, just under a decade. Yep, about a decade. Mm-hmm. And then you came back to the states, and, yes, and you. You brought Misha, and how did that, how did that go? And by the way, I mean, you guys must have went through some things together. Uh, well, he must have shared with uh, you went through several changes in those ten years when you were in Greece, at least. 
Oh yeah, a lot of a lot of changes. Um, you know, going from circus performing or aspiring <laughs> in circus to theater um, to eventually be becoming a musician, changing careers completely, um, getting divorced, you know, changing um, apartments quite frequently. Uh, job situations, friends. I mean, so many things. That's what I mean. We grew up together. Like our entire life was intertwined. Everything that I went through, Misha went through. And I, you know, animals are very sensitive to your emotions, your moods. Um, and so he definitely lived through everything that I lived through um, throughout his lifetime. And did when you came back to the States, did you consider for a moment that you would not take him with you? For me, that was never, ever a consideration. I would prefer not to come back to the States if he had to stay behind. I honestly felt that way because he was that important to me, um, which actually even some members of my own family didn't understand. Uh, and there was a little bit of, you know, talk about like, oh, just leave the cat, you know. Why, why try to transport the cat across the globe? And uh, I didn't really listen to what anyone was saying. I couldn't, you know. There's, oh, there, I should say, there's actually a moment where I had, I had left Misha in Athens and I came to the States for six months. Um, when my ex and I were sort of not sure where our relationship was going, um, I came to the States to kind of figure out... Uh, my part of things and and see what I wanted and I left Misha in Athens and while I was here <laughs> I didn't really miss my ex that much but I really 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 missed my cat <laughs> 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 to, to the point where uh, I, I quit a really good job that I had uh, just to go back and get Misha <laughs> I said I can't be in the States and um, you know, I can't be in the States without my cat. I need to go back and get Misha. But when, when, I, when I ended up going back to Athens, I ended up staying there again and continuing my life there um, in, in a different way with Misha alone, just me and Misha, <laughs> no one else, um, you know, until I got into another relationship eventually. And, uh, and then you d did decide to come back and you've been here now for several years since since your return and Misha you did bring with you uh, and how was that transition for the Greek cat <laughs> well he actually loved the adventure of traveling um, he was very well behaved he was a little bit um, freaked out when we were in the airport and he had to go through security checks that for him was a huge source of anxiety, <laughs> which I think it is for most people <laughs> in general. So he was right along, you know, with everyone else's feelings about feeling like this is a violation and why are they touching me and what are they doing and don't touch my tail. Um, yeah, he was, uh, that was not his, uh, his favorite thing at all. Um, and I, I have that image of him looking at me while going through the, um, I forget what those are called. Uh, the x-ray machines? 
he can't go through the x-ray machine. I had to take him out of the um, the carrier for that. Yeah, they don't allow animals to go through the x-ray machines, and they shouldn't because it would be um, Too much extreme radi- radiation. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, so, um, no, just the, the, the ones that beep. I'm not even sure what they're called. You I know, know what you just, mean, I think. Is that the one with the conveyor belts where they just, not that one? No, I can't think of the name. Um, sometimes I forget words. Uh, <laughs> forgive me. Um, I don't know it either, so it's not you alone. But I, I picture, okay. I could picture what you're talking about. You are listening to Troubadours and Rock on Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Some sort of scanning area. Yeah. And yeah, and he he was looking at me like, "How are you letting them do this to me? How?" <laughs> <laughs> um, once once we got through the checkpoints though, and we were on the plane, he would cry once an hour, one time every hour, and it was almost like at the exact same time every hour, he would just make one little tiny cry, like, you know, one time, and then he wouldn't make a peep for another hour. It was really strange. It's like maybe maybe he was reacting to um, you know just the vibration of the plane. Maybe it put him in a certain state. I I mean I'm not sure, but it was it was strange. It was kind of a strange thing. Um, once we were off the plane, he seemed quite relaxed. Um, he actually got to ride in a limousine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, my father had ordered a car to come and pick us up from the airport, and you know he did—he didn't know that he, or maybe he did know that he ordered a limousine. It was supposed to be a surprise for me or something. I'm not sure, but I—I I feel like he may have ordered a regular car or something. Um, it's quite funny because he ordered two cars, and there were two companies that showed up, and one. <laughs> And they were both limousines. And it was weird because people were looking at me and Misha uh, and um, my my boyfriend, Yanni, as well. They were looking at us like we were celebrities or right. something. That's what I would have thought, too, yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, you have two limousines waiting for you? Like, what's going on? Um, you know, but it was just because that we, we had so many things. And we had the cat. We had me, you know, on crutches, um, basically having to come through the airport and you know my dad wanted it to be comfortable for us to drive to Pennsylvania from New York so because we had all this stuff um and so that's why he ended up getting those cars but yeah everyone was looking at us like oh my god two limousines waiting for them and their cat like what (laughs) yeah (laughs) European film stars or something or yeah (laughs) Uh, so then we rode in the limousine, you know, into Pennsylvania, got dropped off, uh, you know, not in front of a mansion or anything like that, just in front of like a nice humble apartment. And, uh, and that was, that was the beginning. Um, and Misha, one of Misha's favorite things about America was uh, wall-to-wall carpeting, actually. Yeah, that's not so common in Greece. No. no. You have tile or you have um, wooden floors usually or so, stone yeah yeah same as my experiences in france and italy same same sort of setup uh so you're you're back here and and uh, as i said you've been back for several years as, as we mentioned and you know then you know, misha had a nice a nice time 
it seems, right? Adapted well. Uh, you and Yanis uh, uh, and, and your family uh, together here. Uh, and then Misha got sick, basically. And uh, yeah, I know you had a, a, a social media funding campaign because it's, it's kind of expensive to tend to uh, his medical needs. And um, after a year or so, I guess, it, it took it, it took the best of him. Well, it, it almost, yeah, about a year and a half. Because he first, I think it was a few months in when he first got diagnosed with diabetes, feline diabetes. Um, and he, he seemed to be able to deal with that. Um, but then on top of that, he ended up getting cancer with the diabetes. And so... You know, already with a weakened immune system and then also battling cancer. I mean, he was just dealing with a lot. Um, technically, he shouldn't have lived very long, even that year that he his, that he did survive extra. I mean, um, you know, he was, uh, I think it was definitely because he was a fighter, for sure. Um, and... He actually went into remission from the diabetes right before the cancer overtook him. So his body was fighting. He was able to get himself to not be diabetic right before he passed away. Um, so I just look at that as, you know, a testament to his tremendous will in general to to live and, and to be himself. And, you know, what... Um, what exactly would you how how would you describe him so people could understand what did he look like so people could understand uh, the visual image um well i have this tiny little poem that i wrote about him <laughs> i can read it it's it's really sure. short you know sure. go, it won't take up a lot it. of time no, and, you know it's um, it's just like a so they maybe they could understand something about him um gray white and beige Seafaring captain, constant companion, caped crusader, masked instigator, full of magic dust, allergic or not, I sprinkle it on everything, and life becomes a limitless playground. Mm. Is there a title? Uh, just gray, white, and beige, because he was a, a tri-colored cat, um... And it was one of his uh, beautiful features. People would always remark how beautiful he was. And I actually used to think that he was a girl instead of a boy because he was that pretty. <laughs> and uh, and now, you know, um, you have dealt with some grief since he's passed. I know that uh, firsthand. You, you've expressed that to me. And um, were you expecting that? Was it, was it somewhat of a shock to you? That you'd feel so deeply, given that you know, uh, and I don't mean to insult, but people would say it's a pet, but it wasn't. Maybe he wasn't. Oh no, he was a family member to me, um, a best friend, everything really. Um, we, I probably spent more time with Misha than I've spent with other humans. To be honest, I mean, he was constantly with me, especially for most of those years in Greece. He was just always next to me. Um, 
And now, too, even since we've been here in the States, uh, I stayed home with him a, a great majority of the time, um, taking care of him. You know, so I was his caretaker also in the, you know, declining years. Um, it's not any re- different than the experience of losing a loved one. I mean, it's it's exactly the same. Uh, the emotions are the same. Maybe even even more. Um, I don't want to say profound, uh, but just on like a, a deeper level of empathy and, and sympathy because, you know, animals are so pure and and very innocent um, and kind of forced to live in our, our world, how we want them to live in a way. And just just feeling, you know, that that someone or something can isn't is can never be replaced Every, everyone and everything is unique there's nothing that could ever um, be like that again those specific things those things will never occur again and i think that's where the grief comes from like all those moments can never occur again in any capacity um I think that's the grief. And you can't make new moments, not in the way that you would like. You can you can still remember and can still direct energy, but in a different way. Little Star Run, thank you for sharing a story and the life you shared with Misha and, and uh, the uh, corresponding insights and thoughtful sense of existence as two fellow animals spirits in this time on the face of the earth oh well my pleasure take care bye w Oh
My Foolish Heart. We begin our story in Hollywood, California, 1972. Hippies, drugs, free love. The old Hollywood giving way to the new. In a stately ballroom, however, the old romance still holds sway. A 71-year-old bald man with a pencil-thin mustache rises from a dais to acknowledge his induction into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. This man is Ned Washington, a lyricist from the golden age of Hollywood, whose contributions to the great American songbook include Stella by Starlight, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You, La Cucaracha, and The Nearness of You. Nominated for 12 Academy Awards, he won two for When You Wish Upon a Star in 1940 and Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, the theme song from High Noon in 1952. Misty-eyed, he gazes at his grizzled peers with affection and an appreciation. And if this were a biopic, it would be time for a flashback. Ned was born in a coal town in northeastern Pennsylvania. One of nine children. Not destined for the life of a minor, by the age of twelve he was sending poems to the local newspapers. As he traipsed the busy downtown streets, lyrics were no doubt already dancing in his head. Show business beckoned, and by twenty-one he was in New York City. He began his career as a master of ceremonies in vaudeville, introducing acrobats and ethnic comedians and tap dancers and crooners, and serving as the agent for some of the acts. Soon he was cranking out lyrics for Broadway reviews, including Earl Carroll's Vanities series, Blackbirds of 1934, and Hello, Paris. His first hit, with music by Michael H. Cleary and lyrics by Herb Magidson, came in 1928 with Singing in the Bathtub, which has been covered by everyone from Gracie Fields to Danny Kaye to R. Crumb to Tweety Bird. Singing in the bathtub, singing all alone, tearing out a tonsil, just like a baritone. In 1934, Hollywood came calling, and he eventually worked for MGM, Walt Disney, Warner Brothers, Columbia, and Paramount. He wrote songs for Tropic Holiday, Pinocchio, Dumbo, and Mexicana. No, no, Nanette, The Greatest Show on Earth, and Gulliver's Travels. He collaborated with such composers as Victor Young, Dimitri Tiomkin, Max Steiner, Jimmy McNew, and Hoagy Carmichael, and gave bandleader Tommy Dorsey his theme song, I'm Getting Sentimental Over You. Now, a montage. Cigar-chomping tunesmiths banging on pianos, showgirls in kick lines, movie stars falling in love by the light of a faux moon, swanky nightclubs with mobsters and malls and champagne for everybody, torch singers breaking hearts like nobody's business, swirling sheet music with top ten titles, The March of Time. Ned, on deadline, with a pencil behind his ear, struggling to find the right words to match the mood of the scriptwriter's scene and the rhythm of the music. 
Like his fellow lyricist Gus Kahn and Al Dubin and Bert Calmer and Johnny Burke and Johnny Mercer and Sammy Kahn, Ned had versatility to burn. They were craftsmen, and in the case of the wonderful Dorothy Fields, craftswomen, as well as studio employees. They would be assigned a song, to write a song for a star singer, like Bing or Frank, or a scene, Andy and Judy making up after a fight, or a genre, theme songs for a screwball comedy, or a thriller, or a western. Ned ranged from high diddly-dee, an actor's life for me, to town without pity. How can we keep love alive? How can anything survive? When these little minds tear you in two, what a town without pity can do. No, it isn't very pretty, what a town without pity can do. To Rawhide, all the things I'm missin', good vittles, love, and kissin', are waitin' at the end of my ride. When the sixties arrived, with shaggy-haired band members and soulful singer-songwriters composing their own songs, the Tin Pan Alley and Hollywood veterans found the work drying up, and their standards seemed square and fusty, suitable for lounge singers like Jerry Vale or Vic Damone, or nostalgic medleys on variety show spots. They were old-fashioned, as the Dorothy Fields lyric goes. Irving Berlin, who outlived his copyright on Alexander's ragtime band, became bitter suing Mad Magazine for a parody of the song Always, and watching his peers die off one by one before he finally drifted away at 101. The great American songbook survived, of course, and the songs, Ned's very much among them, live on. Ned surely knew his lyrics would last. He sunned himself by his pool the day after his induction, his thoughts now and then turning to his hometown, whose jukeboxes for years since his departure has play, had played his hits. Ned was as happy as Jiminy Cricket. Generations of our townsfolk spooned to our native son's songs. His work appeared on screens large and small for decades. Scores of singers have breathed life into his lines. Countless couples has swayed to the songs he created with his many collaborators. Children have wished upon a star again and again, and once jaded adults have surprised themselves by discovering that, as Ned wrote, this time it's love, my foolish heart. The night is like a lovely tune Beware, my foolish heart How white the ever-constant moon Take care, my foolish heart There's a line between love and fascination 
That's hard to see on an evening such as this For they both give the very same sensation When you're lost in the magic of a kiss Her lips are much too close to mine Beware my foolish heart But should our eagle lips combine Then let the fire start For this time it isn't fascination Or a dream that will fade and fall apart It's love, this time it's love, my foolish heart Or a dream that will fade and fall apart It's love this time It's love my foolish heart My foolish heart Poor foolish heart Feral. Two wild cats, feral indeed, wailing those infant human sounds through the front door, over the porch and sidewalk, past my parked minivan, there in the middle of our street did stand two tiger cats circling one another, paws thrown down, then off into the underbrush between houses they ran. Makes me think such a tamed beast in this workaday sham I am. with my tail in the air. 
garbage can Ow. Yeah, don't cross my episode 256 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Little Star Run, regular contributor, artist, extraordinaire. Thank you for sharing your story regarding Misha, and thank you to Misha as well. Thank you to Dr. Michael Pavise, our associate producer, a.k.a. Uncle Cesare. And thank you to these musical artists. Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Hugh Maskella, The Fall, Shaggy Otis, Tony Bennett, The Stray Cats, Branford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. Until next week, enjoy this one. Thanks for listening. <laughs>